Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by Amber Athey, and we're also joined today by Siraj Hashmi. He's the co-host of the Habibi Bros podcast and creator of The List. And we're going to be talking about some breaking news, and that is the verdict in the Jussie Smollett trial. It came down late last night, and he has been found guilty on five out of six counts of felony disorderly conduct in Chicago. The trial lasted for about a week. And of course, this all dates back to 2018 when he alleged that he was a victim of a hate crime in Chicago on a freezing cold night when he was supposedly going to Subway to pick up sandwiches at about three in the morning. As it turns out, that was not the case. Uh, he staged the entire thing, and he has now uh, been found guilty of that. So I want to talk uh, to our guest, Siraj, here. And, and Siraj, you know, before we get into the details of the verdict, what struck me most about this trial was just the unabashed weirdness of it, right? Like at one point, uh, Smollett's lawyers accused the judge of lunging at them and, and shouting at them, uh, you know, like played the victim on that. There were texts revealed of you know comments where uh, two of the men who were supposedly involved in the attack were calling people fruits and you know saying other weird homophobic things. Uh, this was a a strange case in the American justice system, wasn't it? You know, it's just another day in MAGA country. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> the fact that Jesse Smollett's lawyers would play the victim. I mean, honestly, you couldn't find better lawyers for Jesse Smollett playing the victim just like he did. And also, how has no one been tipped off by the fact that Jesse Smollett, of all people, would go to Subway? <laughs> He's the I type know. of person, too, that would like go to Subway and order like a tuna sandwich or like the seafood delight. Yeah. Right? Just to yeah. really go for it. The yeah. worst thing on the menu. Yep. You, you have, I mean, the fact that we're, you know, we're even discussing this is sort of like a it's like a stain on our American justice system, just in general, because of the amount of resources that the Chicago Police Department put into investigating this particular hoax crime, while actual real crimes were happening in Chicago, where people's lives were negatively impacted, they were beaten, they were killed, you name it. I mean, it's not like, you know, when we talk about Chicago and crime, the two are like, go hand in hand almost. And it's not even just like, you know, you're run of the mill gang crime. Of course, you have your white collar crime. You're like <laughs> everyone talks about how how corrupt Chicago politicians are. And this is just something where, you know, for Jesse Smollett to sort of make a mockery of hate crimes in general. You know, we saw this in the early years of the Trump administration, where as soon as Trump was elected, I remember vividly a young Muslim woman, maybe about 17, 18 years old, uh, basically accused uh like faked faked a, a, a hate crime against her in which like like five trump supporters uh ripped off her hijab in the middle of a new york city subway in the middle of the night uh and they were like basically telling her to go back to her country when actually what happened was she had stayed up late past curfew seeing her boyfriend and then her parents as punishment made her shave her head it's just like, Jeez. and people don't remember this because obviously this isn't someone who is like an empire actor. She was just, you know, a, 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 a young teenager. And so this is one of these things where, you know, you see these happen time and time again, and it diminishes and uh, dilutes the, the impact of a lot of these actual hate crimes. Like, I mean, just look at the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and the trial of uh, Travis and Gregory McMichael and William Bryan, who... I mean, they've been convicted, but they're also being charged with a hate crime, which has yet to go forward. 
that is a legitimate case that uh, if we had paid a little bit more attention to it in the beginning, had like there, you know, we gotten video evidence before, we probably would have would have been uh, prosecuted those individuals earlier. But I, you know, it's just we spent too much time focusing on like sort of like the sensational stories of a Jesse Smollett and not like the actual real evil people like uh, the the McMichaels and the William Bryans and, and then the Ghislaine Maxwells of the world. Yeah, I think you're right that, um, you know, this is really speaking to the currency of victimhood in our current culture, where somehow being the victim of a hate crime or any violent attack makes you more valuable than if you were um, someone who just goes about and does their work and, and does it well. Um, there was another hate crime incident in the early years of the Trump administration or faux, faux hate crime where a church was burned down, a black church, and they ended up finding out that it was a black man who had done it. And that received nationwide coverage as well. And the way the media covered the Jesse Small trial and not just the media, but, you know, the political left um, really furthered this idea that he had become this sort of larger than life figure and was a much more famous actor than he actually was and much more talented because he was the target of this. And, and that was sort of, I think one of the beginning points where people started to question his story, right. Was because he had made himself out to be this really famous actor that even Trump supporters would recognize him as this guy from empire. And everyone was like, nobody really knows who you are. Actually, you're not really that famous and I think that was sort of the first moment when he claimed that they called him like the gay guy from Empire that everyone was like, well, that's really weird. Like no Trump supporter would actually recognize this guy. But then you had Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, all of these leftist politicians coming out in support of Jesse Smollett. You had celebrities coming out in his favor. And it really became this sort of like cult, cult-esque story about what society is really like. And um, I don't know, Siraj, can you just talk a little bit more about how victimhood has really become this sort of valuable currency? Um, it's it's almost like a badge of honor to be a victim now. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot over the last like four or five years. And, you know, I I have to say a lot of the onus falls on the Black Lives Matter movement, because initially when awareness started to be raised about the police shootings of unarmed black men and women, it kind of created a culture in which people were vying for space on that platform of saying, hey, we're oppressed, pay attention to us. And while there are legitimate grievances about police brutality in the black community, there is a lot of pe- there are a lot of people who exasperate and exaggerate certain claims to make things look more innocent on parts of the victim than they like to give them credit for. So, say for example, with everything with like the hands up, don't shoot, and the uh, Uh, Michael Brown uh, shooting when, when you actually looked at the justice department's investigation and the coroner's investigation of how uh, officer Wilson shot and killed Michael Brown, 
there was no there was no like execution there's no public execution he was michael brown was charging at uh the officer causing him to discharge his firearm and this lie this narrative that somehow michael brown was an innocent victim in all of this that he was uh i mean for one he shouldn't have died i you know i i, I there there are times in which i feel like that there i i like get really like hung up on this about police brutality but at the same time there's also people who just try to you know they there's some people who just try to give as much rope to the person to hang them with. And it's just, you know, it's a messy situation. It's not black and white. Like a lot of people say it is. There's a lot of nuances, a lot of gray area. And when it comes to victimhood culture, everybody's trying to like buy for the top spot. And it, it like the fact that corporations got into it this past summer by like posting black squares uh, after the, uh, murder of George Floyd, you know, like there was, it, it's just gone overboard. We're now idolizing people who, who have been killed. And, and I mean, I don't, no one really knows. No one really knew George Floyd before he died. That's the thing. Like, and now they're erecting statues of him. It's just, I, I just, I'm trying to figure out why some people are so quick to just idolize anyone who makes headlines. And it's just, when celebrities do it, when leftist politicians do it, it's it, it just it drives it, it's gaslighting. It's it's gaslighting because they try to tell you that it's one way, and we don't even have all the facts out. And with the case of Jesse Smollett, that was like the exact case, and they're not held and they're not held accountable for it. Right, and I th- well, and I think this verdict is a very good thing because it does have some consequences for an individual who really tried to advance this victimhood culture and use it in a way that divided people racially. Um, another incident that comes to mind is the, the Bubba Wallace uh, NASCAR case where they claimed that there was a noose in his garage and it turned out just to be a pool handle. And you had even Republicans like Nikki Haley coming out in his defense. And I start to worry about the, I guess, trickle down effect that this has on our broader culture, because you see in young people now a rise in people who are making up like fake genders and fake sexualities. And you see all these young kids dyeing their hair. And I know it sounds like very fuddy-duddy and maybe like uber uh, satanic panic, but there is something to the idea that people become so desperate for this attention and they know they can get it out of being a victim that it almost becomes narcissistic. And we see this in the Jesse Smollett case where he's comparing himself to the, the black Cary Grant. I, I, it gets to this <laughs> point where it's so absurd. It's like Jesse Smollett almost has a mental illness. I think with the way that he acted in this case, blatantly lying to the, to the jury. Um, and I imagine that's going to factor into his sentence um, potentially as well, because he was so unapologetic about it. He's already promised to appeal the case Everything about it just seems like someone who has a very warped sense of identity. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like some people feel like being a victim is a personality. Yeah. And they believe that if they put on this facade that they've been oppressed, 
then that somehow will lead to like economic opportunities. And that seemed to be the case with Jesse Smollett, because obviously, uh, I mean, like, look, no one really knew who Jesse Smollett was prior to this hoax attack. And I feel like, and I, I think this is, you know, like the Occam's razor, usually the first, uh, first guess is the correct one or the first, you know, what basically he needed more notoriety, more attention to try to keep his job with Empire because I think there was discussions about how he was no longer going to be on the show after that particular season or something like that. So it was like a devised plan to try to get him to stay on. And I look, it backfired immensely. And that, again, this is just hearsay. I have no idea if this has actually happened or not. Um, but look, there, it, there comes a point when people have to take a step back and really examine the consequences of their actions because while they think they are a, a they're, they're sort of a victim and sort of like a harmless fake hate crime, the people that they're hurting are the people that they're accusing. And so if you're saying that Trump supporters would just are so cultured that they recognize Jesse Smollett on the street because they watch Empire, which uh, as we probably know, maybe like, 10 people out of the millions of Trump supporters probably watch Empire. It, it's just, it, you have to really understand that there's people out there who want to demonize others just based on their political beliefs. And Bubba Wallace, look, I don't know how much thought, I don't even know if he was the one who really initiated that. I can't recall. Do you remember? Yeah, so... It was originally a member of his team, I believe, that brought it to his attention. And he said when he got to the garage and saw it, there was no doubt in his mind that it was a noose. So it was sort of this like inner feedback loop where they all collectively decided that it was a noose. So I don't know if the member of his team who saw it was black or what specifically they were trying to do but or was it like their first day on the job like how long have they been working in nascar that that was the first time that they ever saw a a pulley like it's like honestly like you have to remember i mean like if this is if this is something that's actually very commonplace in nascar and i assume that it is and bubba wallace has been around the block at least for a few years he never recognized this before i mean come on And I think you hit on something important there, which is that the confirmation bias in cases like this just causes everybody to abandon their common sense. Right. Right. They just like they want to believe it. And so therefore they're going to overlook basic fundamental questions like, could that be a pulley? Or, I mean, in the Smollett case, you just go down the list and it's absolutely incredible. You have to believe that this guy got hungry for a meatball sandwich at four o'clock in the morning. He was willing to brave like the negative 20 degree wind chills in order to go get it. And then the attack itself, I mean, it's like just like mad libbed together from every stereotype you can imagine. These guys were wearing MAGA hats. They called him a racial slur. They called him a homophobic slur. They brought a noose with them. They brought bleach with them. It's like yeah, I, like South Park wouldn't run with this. I mean, it's yeah. just that like even like, people, stereotypical. Yeah. But, but everybody just ran with it because they wanted to believe it. This is how they desperately want to see the world. It's just right. there's these Mad Max-like roving bands of Trump supporters who are attacking African-Americans. And yeah, it, it's just amazing how people are willing to shut their brains off like that. 
it kind of goes back to um, the Virginia governor's race in, uh, what was it, 2016? Uh, 2017. 2017. When yeah. Ralph Northam ran that ad about Ed Gillespie being the, t- the type of guy who drives around in a pickup truck with an American flag on it, chasing down little black children. Like that really is the caricature of how they view the world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've had to, I remember a bunch of hate crimes happening uh, or, you know, there were a bunch of hate crimes happening in the mid 2010s. And a lot of the victims were say, actually, some of them were actually Muslim. And so I looked, took that, took that to heart, obviously, because I am one, but some people tried to make it work, you know, worse than it actually was. So say, for example, there was a, um, a like a Syrian refugee family living in Oklahoma that resettled there and their neighbor like killed the the father of the family and people thought that this person was like a straight up like white supremacist and he like hated Muslims and while he did hate Muslims he was also uh gay in, in a same-sex marriage so it was like you know these things are actually not very black and white at all Sometimes there's always something that, you know, like a curveball that is thrown in to sort of make it, you know, a little bit messier. And I don't trust any like perfect hate crime uh, because they're basically too good to be true. You will never it's 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 a rarity to find someone that has like, you know, checks every single box of the stereotype of what a particular, you know, suspect would be. And the fact that. In Chicago, you have two people wearing MAGA hats in Chicago in negative like 20 degrees Fahrenheit in the middle of the night with a noose. It is it, it doesn't make any sense. And I am surprised that anybody thought to themselves, hey, you know what? This actually happened. An unre- seemingly unrelated piece of news this week, uh, but Bob Dole died not that long ago. And, and, you know, that doesn't really make a splash in Republican circles like it might have once. But here's a guy who grew up during the Great Depression, uh, was shot down or rather was injured in the Second World War and never seemed to ever have a complaint in his entire life. I mean, had actually quite a a wicked sense of humor, a good sense of humor about it. And that made me think that like the last generation that was immune to this victimization culture is dying off. Right. I mean, we're, we're entering a time where we don't we're going to be at kind of year zero where nobody's going to remember what that was like anymore, where you just kind of, you know, took life as it came to you. It's, it's all victimization is just, is just everywhere. And I wonder, you know, what does that mean for our greater culture? If everybody is constantly claiming some kind of grievance on some kind of identity politics, uh, then, I mean, there's nobody left on the other end to claim it from, I guess, after a while. And we just turn into a, a very babyish society, I suppose. I mean, it's it's difficult to see where we go from here. And it's good to see that the justice system is still immune to this. You know, you can whine about the judge lunging at you and it's not going to get uh, heard, you know, you and, and ultimately Smollett was convicted. But but not good, I think, for the overall broader culture. You know, there were, you know, I remember about like 15, 20 years ago when it was kind of like a, like we were at the height of sort of talking about America being a melting pot and sort of like a lot of uh, intermixing couples from different ethnicities, backgrounds, races, and religions. And there was a lot of discussion about like how in the year like 2050, like everybody will basically be like a dark beige. And so, you're going to get to the point where there's so many different 
mixes and ethnicities of individuals that literally they'll be a victim. They're like a group for every single like mixed, like I'm half Pakistani, half American, you know, you could get like a half Indian, half Japanese. And it's just like, you know, you just constantly get all these different ethnicities in, involved. And I mean, I think America is the, the greatest country in the world is the only place in the, in the world where you can actually, you know, just come to this country, adopt its values. And you're not, you're not even a citizen. People will call you American. Like that is the beauty of this country. And so for, for people to try to say, you know, that they're somehow oppressed by this country. Look, this country isn't perfect. We, we've certainly had a lot of things in, its, in, in our past that, uh, that are is subject to intense scrutiny. And from, be, you know, back then to even to this day. But I think that we as a society have progressed far enough that we can look at individuals for who they are based on their merits without looking at their, their identity first but really just trying to understand what they believe and what, what values they hold. Because ultimately we don't really, I think, I think there are most Americans don't care about who someone is as long as they share similar values. And that has always been sort of like the, the common ground that most Americans sort of thrive on. That's what, you know, for before all this partisanship and polarization, you have what you have politicians of Washington from Demo from both the Democratic and Republican Party going out for drinks after they would, you know, do a House or a Senate vote. Like that is kind of like the camaraderie that they would have. And, you know, that that's maybe maybe that's like a, a conversation about the elites for another day. But that's sort of like emblematic of like how most people sort of view themselves. And it's troubling when you have polls come out like the one this week in which you know, most Democrats say they would never date a Republican or not most, but like a like at least a third. Yeah, it was like date. I think it was 70 percent of college Democrats said they would not date. Oh, wow. It was 70, yeah, it was something mm -hmm. like that. But that, that's like the that's where we're heading in terms of like, you know, it's no it's no longer about that person's religion, their their race, their ethnicity. They, you know, politics has just become the great divider. Uh, and we've seen a trend this way over the last like five years. And, you know, and look, both sides are to blame for this or, or everyone's to blame for this because somehow, and I put most of the onus on the corporate media because there has been a economic incentive to divide people because it gets ratings and eyeballs and clicks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.